okay? Freaking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. We realize that we don't have to build this business the way everyone else says you have to build a business. We can build the business the way we want to build a business, focus on our customers, focus on our products. And then whatever the growth is, the growth is because we've already won. Like at $3 million a year of revenue, we had we had one life slaughter. That's Eric Bandholtz. Eric is the host of e-commerce conversations, a weekly podcast from Practical E-commerce. He's also the co-founder of Beard Brand, a leading men's grooming company that focuses on beard care. With the help of his co-founders, he's bootstrapped Beer Brand from zero sales to a multi-million dollar business. On today's episode, Eric discusses how to build a business that works for your lifestyle, deciding whether to create products in-house or not, and the advice he has for other solopreneurs. Tune in as we talk about all things e-commerce and even some fashion, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is powered by the team at Stored. Turn your supply chain into a competitive advantage. Go to Stored.com to learn more. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Sword, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. All right, here today with Eric Bandholtz, founder of Beard Brand and host of e-commerce conversations. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Two questions off the bat. First off, how are you? Second off, how do I grow a beard? Well, uh, those are two very easy questions to answer, so you're <laughs> tossing some softies to me. Uh, I'm hot. It's like a and we got like 100 days of 100-degree weather here in Austin, Texas. And uh, I would say if you want to grow a beard, you just wait. That's pretty much all you got to do. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I love it. And uh, if any of our listeners listened to the Jeff Rader interview from a couple weeks ago, I can't grow a beard even how long I wait. So no matter how long, it just doesn't happen for me. But I got a – so I didn't know you knew uh, a Jeff. I met with him. Like literally right after he he purchased the uh, the razor company and oh really yeah and where did they buy Germany or something like that mm-hmm. whoever's making their blades and he couldn't talk about it so I put two and two together like a a couple of weeks later when I I read the news report small so world he's a super good dude yeah he's a super great dude I should reach out to him yeah he's get great him on my podcast he's great he's great all right well let's dive right in definitely want to hear about your current role and and beard brand and and tell us all about it. Yeah, so I'm the founder of Beard Brand, and this year we are celebrating our 10th anniversary, 10th year of being in business, uh, which is pretty wild to think about. So we've been around the block for a while, and we've come a long way. I've got two business partners, and I kind of handle like the the messaging to the world, and then my business partner Lindsay, she kind of handles the the messaging internal to Beard Brand, and then my third business partner Jeremy, he kind of sits on this board as like a kind of an independent advisor. And uh, we're a bootstrap company. We're, we're approaching eight figures and uh, we sell primarily through our website, beardbrand.com. But we really started on this mission to, to help men keep on growing. You know, it's it's uh, kind of easy to, to pay lip service or, or to think entrepreneurs are, are being a little disingenuous. But Beard Brand was started as really like I was customer number one. So it was like, how do I solve my own needs? And how do I... <laughs> grow and and a lot of the big problems I was facing in the early days was that I grew a beard out and people would call me Duck Dynasty or ZZ Top or Grizzly Adams and those are cool dudes those are cool dudes but these hands were made for keyboards they weren't made for axes and and uh, you know hard work 
So um, <laughs> I realized there's a bunch of guys that, that are kind of like me, you know, that don't fit that traditional stereotype. And what I wanted to do is just unite them and give them the tools they needed to to feel confident about their beard, but more than feeling confident about their beard, feeling confident about the person looking back at them in the mirror and really loving who they are, whether that is a beard or no beard, like I'm not anti-shaving. Obviously I'm pro beard, I love beards, but I don't care if you have a big beard, a short beard, you know, a little bit of scruff, or if you completely shave. What I care about is the guy who looks back at you in the mirror, that you love that person and, and use that love as a catalyst to to really make your world better. And then as you make your world better, like through a grassroots effort, the world as a whole is going to become better. That's awesome. And, and congratulations on 10 years. It's not easy being a bootstrap company and, and lasting that long, but sounds like you've uh, got some good things going on. So tell me a little bit about the the products that you guys have and how you guys are, are helping that gentleman love himself with his beard. Yeah. So obviously with a name like Beard Brand, we sell beard grooming products and that's what you would think about. But over the course of 10 years, we kind of grew beyond the beard. We've kind of like leaned into all sorts of men's grooming products. So think hair shampoo and conditioner, think hair styling products, think cologne, think deodorant, think body bars or body soap. And then of course, like the, the beard care products like beard oil and utility balm, mustache wax, all those. And then we've had some you know, like like this T-shirt, for example, you know, kind of gear and, and scissors and combs and tweezers and uh, really dope like <laughs> combs and, you know, anything to help you look good. So if you go to beardbrand.com and you want to look good, then uh, there's not a product that you're not going to be able to find that, that I love will help it. you on that it. journey. Over the past 10 years, I'm sure the measures of success have changed. Kind of walk us through that development and, and how you measure success today versus 10 years ago when you were just getting started out. Yeah, that's a that's a really challenging question. I try as much as possible not to define success based on external measures and instead define it based on the things that are truly important to me and the things that I want out of life. Mm. However, I always fall into the ego trap of, you know, wanting to build a, you know, certain size business or wanting to get recognition for this or wanting to sell into these kind of markets because, you know, somebody else is doing it or grow at a faster pace because this other company is growing fast and I think we should do that. So I try as much as possible to like block that out and really focus on, you know, what makes me happy. And um, so over the course of the years, you know, as a bootstrap company, like Beard Brand started off as as a side project and it was like, oh, this would be cool if it could ever be like my full-time gig. And then it kind of became like, oh, about the size of a full-time gig. Maybe we were doing about 25K per month. And then it's like, oh, it's getting overwhelming. I could hire someone and then, you know, maybe have like this small little lifestyle business where it would be a, a, a side gig for my business partners and a full-time gig for me. And then it became this thing where we kind of like went all in and was like, all right, Lindsay, come work for the company. And now it's going to be your full-time gig. And we're going to try to take over the world and, you know, be the, the largest beard care company. And then um, that was going well until we had a lot of strife within the the company about, our stress levels and not growing fast enough and, you know, running into a lot of issues and really strife between me and my business partners, not agreeing on, on the vision that we're, we're working towards. And we had kind of like one of those come to Jesus meetings and it was very awkward. It was very challenging, but we kind of realized that at the time the company was doing about $3 million in revenue, $3 million company with three business partners, no debt, 
no other outside parties like you can live a very good life with that you've got a roof over your head you got food on the table you got all your bills that will be covered and you've got the freedom to kind of define your life and once we kind of came to terms with that we realized that you know like we we don't have to build this business the way everyone else says you have to build a business. We can build the business the way we want to build a business, focus on our customers, focus on our products. And then whatever the growth is, the growth is, because we've already won. Like at $3 million a year of revenue, we had we had one life's lottery. Like, I mean, that's, I, I truly believe that. Like if, if you're close to that range, like if you're a single um, founder, 100% own it, and it's like a $1.5 million company, like that's not a very big company. Like you, you can do that. You can run a company by yourself doing around a million dollars. Like if, if you're a baller, it's not hard to win uh, the lottery in life. I mean, it is hard. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's not hard. But <laughs> it's certainly hard, but uh, it's doable. It's very, very achievable. And then since then, it's just been like, you know, looking at the problems that we have at Beard Brand and how do we prioritize those problems and then how do we solve those problems? And then whatever the growth is, the growth is. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the the tipping point from for you personally when you said, I'm going to take this from from the side gig to I'm going all in. Yeah, I mean, really, I feel like I can't say that, you know, uh, the, the growth of Beard Brand was 100% attributable to my amazing talents because that's probably the furthest <laughs> thing from the truth. I do think we had the right brand with the right messaging at the right time in addition to, you know, like putting in the hard work and, and doing what's possible. So we, we had a little bit of luck and, you know, subsequently our company grew really rapidly. I think within the first 10 months, we were on a million dollar run rate. I would say very few bootstrap companies find that kind of success. And, um, you know, it, it was addictive to me. Like the, those early days, I 24 seven, like if I was awake, uh, if you were talking to me, like my my mind was on Beard Brand. It was on nothing else other than that. Right. And, uh, you know, eventually it's gone down to probably like 75% of my time is now on Beard Brand. So <laughs> 25% is on other things. But, you know, it really was like we, we went from like a $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, $600 a month, $2,000 a month, you know, 3000 5000 6000 12000 25000 it was like that. That was like each month, month over month growth that we had in those early days. And uh, to me, it was always like that 25K per month was like, if you do the math, you're making 20% uh, profit. So that's uh, what, 5,000 bucks a month. So uh, 5,000 bucks a month for me living in Spokane at the time, I mean, that's 60K a year, like 60K. I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't have champagne taste, but like 60K a year is pretty good money, especially when you're, you're doing your own thing. Um, so that was kind of that, that tipping point for me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Switching gears a little bit. Tell me about e-commerce conversations. Where'd that idea come from? The, the podcast that you host for our listeners, if you're not aware, please tune in. Awesome conversations that Eric has with his guests. And, uh, I've certainly enjoyed it over the past couple of weeks since you've been doing it, but tell me where that idea came from, sort of the topics that you guys talk about and, and uh, what our listeners can find out through that, through that podcast too. Yeah, e-commerce conversations is the greatest podcast you've never heard of. Uh, I don't think <laughs> anyone's ever heard of it. I've been doing it for God, nearly three years now. And actually, uh, I kind of fell into it. Carrie, the owner of Practical E-commerce, had been running that show and he was the the previous host. So he owns the show and he owns Practical E-commerce, and I was a guest 
on the show and and uh, i don't know i guess we had a good, good conversation or something he's like hey why don't you host it i was like ah you know i shouldn't take on more work but sometimes i have a hard time saying no and i enjoy it you know like i enjoy talking to people it's something <laughs> that's for me it's it's not a business it's kind of like uh like a passion project another passion project and uh you know so i i do it for the fun of it and if you listen to right. it you know i don't have I'm on episode like 125, you know, so 125 episodes in and we haven't had a sponsor yet. So it's just like straight into it, straight into the conversations. And then I've met a, a lot of great people over these past 10 years. So typically the guests are going to be people who I have a previous relationship with, which uh, has a certain kind of camaraderie or just like fondness between me and the guests. So it's a little more natural. I, I would hope, or at least that's that's the intent. I don't have any questions scripted out or anything like that. <laughs> You've got a very well organized and planned and curated <laughs> podcast. Mine's just like, hey, let's talk. Well, maybe by episode 125, we, we won't have uh, prep calls and, and all that good stuff. But um, we are here to talk about the supply chain and how e-commerce and the supply chain go together. So tell me about, you know, your company and the supply chain, the supply chain industry, how it affects, you know, your day to day and, and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, so in the early days, like I, I did everything. I was, uh, you know, ops, I was marketing, I was customer service and and then as uh, as we grew, I was fortunate that, you know, my business partner, Lindsay, she kind of started wearing that operations hat, which is great for me because while I can like solve the problems, like figure out ways to solve the problems to operational problems, I don't have that commitment skill to actually solve the problem. So I'll be like, oh, here's how you do it. Oh, great, Eric, you go do it. I'm like, it's just kind of not going to happen, you know? <laughs> And uh, there's certainly in operations, I mean, that's just like no glamour, no glory. It's just like you only know about operations when things are going bad. If things are going good, you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, of course things are good. Um, but for us, it's it's been a challenge. You know, it's certainly hard. We, we try to formulate products that no one else has done before. And there's usually a reason why no one else has done it. You know, kind of one of the, the biggest operational challenges for us is we had six fragrances and we wanted to have those same six fragrances available across the board in, in all of our products. So if you think about that six times, you know, what, 10 products, that's 60 SKUs right there. Um, but we actually have nine fragrances instead of six. So we have six on our website and then three uh, with our mass retailer. So that's 90 SKUs right there. And then like fragrance for anyone who's thinking about getting to, to skincare, beauty, grooming, whatever, like fragrance is probably like the, the hardest part of your formulation. Like uh, it doesn't always play nice with your, your base formulation. The base formulation will affect the fragrances. So you almost have to have like even more fragrances. Like we have some of our fragrances have like three fragrances. So there's just a lot of complexity in that decision, but it was kind of strategic for us because we noticed our competitors would only have one fragrance or they would, they wouldn't even have like a fragrance. They would just all be mix and match and no consistency. So we kind of use that as a competitive advantage for us, despite the challenges. And then of course, like the MOQ requirements and uh, yeah, it's just, don't do that. It just like <laughs> learn from well, me. You, you you, you've already started on the uh, the next segment, but let's go ahead and dive yeah. deeper into it and, and talk all about challenges. Houston, we have a problem. 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 
one of the things I'm, I'm curious about is, you know, being bootstrapped, being a, a sole founder, solopreneur, I guess is, is what we call it. Um, I like sole founder because well, it's like, you know, I found my soul. Soul founder. You found your soul looking in the mirror, right? I'm like saying um, over here looking for souls. Like, give me a yeah, soul. Yeah, of course. But what was the, the thing you least expected about the supply chain, about fulfillment or shipping or, or anything related to, you know, getting started back back 10 years ago? You know, the thing is, I would say like I'm, I'm pretty good at identifying problems and solving problems. And then I'm also very philosophical. There's a lot of people who aren't going to cut off their nose and spite their face or they're not going to die on a hill. I've died on a lot of hills and I've cut off my nose multiple times. Like I'm the guy who will make really bad decisions because it's just something I believe in. And, uh, you know, I, I went on a rant today about like pop-ups, like I just hate pop-ups. I think they're a bad experience. I don't like them. I don't care if it could, you know, 10 X my business. If I put a pop-up on my website, I just don't like them. I don't think it's cool. So you're not going to see a pop-up on the store unless it's like a user intent pop-up where it's like click on a photo to expand, obviously marketing pop-ups. I, I guess I should be more specific in the grooming space, the beauty space. There are companies out there that have private label products where essentially I could go out to a manufacturer. They have their formulation already done. I can go to them and say, oh, this is a great formulation. It's 90% of what I wanted, 95% of what I wanted. Slap the beard brand label on it, get it out the door. Operationally, that is just going to be like the bee's knees. Like it's just super easy. All you have to do is focus on making a brand. I know a lot of my competitors do this. A lot of companies do this. No no shame in it. I, I don't think they're any lesser. But for me personally, when I think about the things that I want to do in life, it's like, why spend all this time and energy and, and work and effort to not make something that's your own to kind of like leave your mark? You know, like one of one of the things I've said regularly is I want to leave this world better than when I entered it. And if all I'm doing is like selling someone else's product, then I don't know. To me, it just doesn't feel like a real business. So, you know, we have to formulate our own products and we have to formulate our own fragrances and we have to develop our own packaging and you know we have to source you know ingredients sometimes and work with different vendors and then as a small company we're always battling like you know are we too small for the manufacturer of the products or are we too too big for them and then they can't keep up so it's always like this goldilocks situation where you're trying to find the the right partners i am not you know like talking about supply chain you know we did decide to work with contract manufacturers versus uh, producing it in-house. So I do love developing and formulating new products, just not in-house. I don't think that's a core competency um, that we have from like a manufacturing standpoint. And, and that's a decision that I think allowed us to grow rapidly as well because we could have more of our brain energy go into marketing efforts or just like systems and processes efforts rather than being a shipping company or being a manufacturing company because whether you want to admit it or not, those are all different companies. Like shipping, like 3PL, that's a company. Manufacturing products, that's a company. Selling products, that's a company. R&Ding of, of products, that's a company. And you can't, as a bootstrap small company, you can't do them all. So you have to be good at focusing on where your passions lay and where you think you can be doing or what you think you can be working on for the, you know, in my case, the next 10 years. 
because I like to have a longer term vision for what we're working on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like you just need to focus on how are you going to win and and what's the support team that's going to help you win, right? Who's who's blocking and tackling and and how are we going to score the ball across the goal line for a, a football analogy? Curious, you know, with with your experience in the e-commerce industry, what individual challenges are you seeing brands face right now in in the supply chain world, and you know how how are they addressing those issues or challenges and and what are you kind of seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, um, it's mid 2022 right now. And I feel like where we're at now is probably a little more level headed than where we were at a few months ago in terms of being able to source goods and have them arrive in a reasonable amount of time. We certainly during these past couple of years have had to increase the amount of time that we would expect for a product to arrive on time. So like if Traditionally, we'd send a PO out. We would expect it to arrive in three to four months. Then we had to push it up to like six months, maybe even six to nine months. And then now it's kind of back down in that three to four months. So kind of like that normal, but it's not going to be like any revelation that we're experiencing inflation as well. You know, at what point do you raise your prices? You know, how lean can you go? You know, what are the competitive markets? What are your competitors going to do when it comes to like, maintaining the margin that is needed to operate a sustainable and profitable business. You know, those are all challenging questions. Obviously, I don't want to be the first company to raise their prices because, you know, the the risk associated with that. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a challenging time period, you know, and I'm a conservative guy. So, like, I tend to, like, slow down a little bit. So I'm not hitting as hard with the marketing, but maybe now's the time to hit with the marketing because everyone else is going to go conservative. You need a crystal ball, right? And I don't think it quite exists in the supply chain industry, especially over what we've seen with the, the last three years. What piece of advice would you give someone who has an idea, wants to go go for it, and whether it's bootstrapped or, or raising funding, you know, how do you get started? What advice do you give? The entrepreneur is what I like to call him. I was a entrepreneur for God, like 10 years, I would say maybe eight years. I have a whole whole inventory of failed, I'll call them projects because they weren't, weren't quite businesses behind me. And I really didn't know what those first steps were. You know, I thought it was just acquire information, acquire knowledge, you know, read all the books, you know, watch all the videos nowadays. But the reality is uh, the way you do it is, is you do it. <laughs> and it's as, as simple as it sounds, but there are some events that I went to that really started to drill that into my mind. So Startup Weekend was one of them. It was basically like a, a hackathon, but it wasn't limited to to tech companies. And a Startup Weekend, you could work on any kind of business idea over the, the course of the weekend with the intent to get customers and to start the business. And that action was more important than ideas. Uh, so another book uh, that kind of talks about that theory is, um, uh, I think it's called MVP by Eric Rice or Reese. And uh, it's basically the, or no, it was Lean Startup, I think is what it was, Lean Startup. And it's built around having this this MVP that you uh, you just kind of focus on the, the smallest thing you need to start getting sales and then you kind of grow from there. And, you know, within our space, it's like, you know, you only need a thousand customers to, to get a company off the ground. So, you know, depending on your price point and, and everything like that. But a thousand customers, that's not much. That's probably less people that, that went to your high school. You know, it's certainly like less people that live in your neighborhood. 
So it's not a lot. There's a thousand people out there who want to buy your products. And then it's just figuring out how do I cost effectively reach those thousand people. And then once you have that thousand people, like you've proven validity to the business, to the idea, and then you can grow from there. So like, you know, with Beard Brand, we started with beard oil and mustache wax. And then we've grown with, uh, you know, like a sea salt spray and a styling balm and, you know, shampoo and conditioner. And that's kind of allowed us to to broaden our our audience beyond that those those thousand people. So really, I, I guess the advice w- would be, one, get started, fail a little bit if you do, right? But figure out the path to execution and how you can execute better to get to those thousand customers and then continue your growth from there, right? Businesses are valued essentially by the problems that you've solved. And your job as an entrepreneur is to be really good at prioritizing problems and solving those problems. Usually in the early days, the number one problems is no one knows who the hell you are. Like operationally, that's it's not a problem at all. It's It's like a sales problem. So but eventually you're going to build the sales problem is going to take a backseat to your operational problems. You're just going to, everything's going to be on fire. You're going to be like doing all this stuff at once. There's going to be no systems, no processes. And then you're going to have to solve your operational problems to be able to have, you know, like growth in your sales channel. So being able to find problems, solve problems. Like if you, if, if you don't like solving problems, do not get into entrepreneurship. <laughs> do not do it because you will be miserable. You will hate it because that is all we do all day long. For, yeah. Forever. Absolutely. Never Absolutely. Moving on to our next segment, the venting couch. So talk. Let me vent. Come on. Vent. Go ahead. Vent. I just needed to vent. Where'd you vent? Vent your frustrations. We all have had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it certainly doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more. All right. What stories do you have for the venting couch? Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's recent. So I, wanna, I first want to set the caveat that uh, I love our suppliers. I love the, the partners we work with. We love to pay them as quickly as possible. We love the products they produce. Uh, they are the reason that we exist as a company. There is one of them who I do not love. In fact, I think they're just wrapping up a PO that we placed like a year ago or two years ago, something like that. Just absolutely ridiculous. I think the problem we had with them was essentially we were too small for them. And they were the type of company that, now I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying like this is how we kind of function internally. So a lot of people would probably call me an idiot and and I understand why. But like we're not big fans of contracts. We're big fans of like you say what you say you're going to do. And then if there's a problem, you work to solve it. The company we're working with, they're one of those kind of contract focused people where it's like, oh, this is in the contract and this is what you agreed to and we're not going to make it right. You know, or you're going to be miserable because that's what you signed. And like, I just hate that kind of mentality. I hate working with vendors who make you do like a 90 day contract or whatever. It's like, look, if you're good, I'm never going to leave you. I've worked with like for 10 years with vendors who never signed any kind of contract. You know, like I always want them to earn our business. And then I always want them to also have the freedom to to leave us if we're not a good partner as well. Like freedom is one of our core values. So anyways, this this firm even got to the point where they claim that they purchased a bunch of raw materials for a PO that we were backing out of because they hadn't even started in like four months after like the due date. Like let's say it was due in, in June. And we're like, we're just backing out. And they're like, no, no, no. We bought these materials. You owe us this amount for the materials. 
And so we're like, okay, you know, we'll pay for the materials, but just give it us a, an invoice to show that's what you paid for it. And we'll go, we'll buy them from you. And they weren't willing to show that invoice, which I suspect they just made up a number that was significantly higher than what they claim. So it was just like this big like battle between like you don't want to have battles with your vendors like just like you don't want to have battles with your business partners you want to be working together to solve problems like yeah I they're, mean, it's, like they're you, a California company like I'm a Texan now <laughs> they're a California company so it's like now I'm thinking it's like every company in California is a terrible piece of shit and no uh, I know it's not no, true I know no. there's plenty of great people in California <laughs> but it's like oh, do I want to work with someone from California we've actually had that same thing and we're like oh they're in California. Maybe we look at somebody else. So yeah, but I, I mean, I think you said it right. It, it's they're business partners, and if it doesn't go both ways, and there's there's something wrong. And I guess I, I don't know how you guys solved it, or or if you you know paid and, and walked away from them. But you know, it, it's how can we meet at the table and, and come to an agreement because we value each other, right? And that's what a partner is: is you work it out and and you know figure it out together. And and open communication is the is the biggest thing with that, right? I would say they didn't want our business. They didn't want our business and they had a contract for our business, but they wanted our money, but they didn't want to deliver products for us. So it was just, I don't know, like we've worked with a lot of companies and we have a lot of great referrals. And again, like I love our vendors and they're crucial to the success of Beard Brand. So I don't want to make it seem like this is a common thing, but this is definitely the biggest headache that we've been dealing with for literally the past five years is this, this one vendor. Predictions for the next two years. What do you see in e-commerce? What new innovations do you see? What what do you see happening with Beard Brand? What are you looking forward to? I um I think we're headed toward a recession. So I think we're going to see a tightening of the belts, and some of the companies uh, don't have any more notches left on their belt. So unfortunately, I don't think all the companies are going to make it through it. I think there's obviously some some companies that provide products that are more uh, in demand than others. I think, you know, for me personally, like I think grooming products is it's not like a crucial item. So if someone's going to tighten up their budget, grooming is probably going to get cut. So I think this is going to be a really challenging next two years for us. There's a lot of talk in e-commerce about like going headless and you know, kind of like these technologies and they're always selling like SMS marketing or TikTok advertising or, you know, like the the big, speaking of supply chain, like 3PLs and ShipBob and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think ideally the, the, the things that make the biggest differences aren't always going to be the big shiny thing. It's going to be the incremental improvements that you have. Like for us, operationally, we're, we're building like a cash flow, like an a cash flow, uh, we'll call it a spreadsheet that has like AI in it to, to be able to better predict when we're going to be out of stock and when we should reorder components and products and like those kind of small things, you know, no one's going to write a story about it, but now my manufacturing manager doesn't have to spend, you know, these amount of hours computing this on a regular basis, but we just have the AI handling it for us. And it's like, do you need to order uh, beard oil today? Yes or no. And then it'll be like, yes, you order it, and we'll be good, and no, and then just like check it tomorrow. So I think like those kind of small improvements, you know, the the fun thing about operations during a a slow time period, like for us, sales are down. So we're not running around, you know, like trying to solve all these fires is like, it allows you to 
start to focus on operational improvements and systems and processes that can streamline your operations so that when things do pick up again in a, a couple of years, that your business is has a strong foundation for that. So it's almost like a for, for me a, a time to I see for us to work on those operational excellences and and uh, improve our systems and and focus on executing right i mean whatever little improvements you can make day by day and even even an ai spreadsheet to tell you so you don't have to spend hours working on data and demand forecasting of, of when you're gonna be out of stock you can just say all right let's let's now execute and and, and focus on other things as well right mm-hmm. awesome awesome all right uh wrapping up here with eric ben holtz let's wrap up with some quick hitters second favorite segment for for me and uh hopefully we can let the listeners learn a little bit more about you eric but favorite thing to do in austin texas there's a lot of good things to do here in austin texas i uh so i'll give you a, a list i'm a rower i love rowing on the river okay i go downtown but that's a kind of a, a specialty thing that you need to you need to have some talent for um but the coffee shops are great the food scene is great there's a you know, and of course, it's the, the the live music capital of the world. So, right. But I just like to sit at a coffee shop and people watch <laughs> and, and drink a, a nice little espresso. And you can do that anywhere. I I get that as well. Yeah. I mean, I do it at the airport. I, I, my wife kills me because I I get to the airport like two and a half hours early just so I can look at people. Well, there's um, some interesting people to look at here in Austin. I'll tell you that very much. So <laughs> find the most hipster you know coffee shop you can go to that's like super pretentious. And man, you are just going. You're just going to enjoy it. You're just. Gonna oh enjoy man! It. All right. Well, next time I'm in Austin, I'll give you a shout, and we'll go together. Um, if you didn't work as a founder and you hadn't gone on this journey, what would you be doing? That I'd, I'd be a entrepreneur. I would just be trying to start <laughs> start a business. Like I can't work for the man. Like I, I seriously can't. Maybe I, my wife is pretty uh talented and successful maybe i'd like i'd be a stay-at-home dad okay i don't know like it's just like there's nothing wrong with that i love that no no i mean like yeah she was making the big box when uh and big box is always relative but big box to me when we started beard brand and she's a big part of the reason why why beard brand exists because she put food on the table and a roof over her head while we we got it ramped up so yeah that's awesome that's awesome um last thing you bought online <laughs> I bought a jacket, a leather jacket from Bellstaff. Uh, it's the the Drover jacket. It's okay. a trucker jacket, but it's a burnished suede. And uh, I can't wait to wear it. I'm going to Denmark in uh, a couple of weeks, and it's cooler there. I was about to say, you're not going to need an Austin. No, you, you pretty much <laughs> have like one or two days you can wear a jacket in Austin. But in Denmark, I should be able to wear it every night. And uh, it's just like, I don't know. I've changed my style from this kind of like, you know, black on black with like a moto style to more of like an Americana kind of Western style. So uh, this jacket, I feel like just it was the final piece I was looking for. You'll have to send me a link. I'm, I, I need to update my wardrobe from my gray T-shirt and, and Lululemon, um, you know, black pants. But um, all right, here we go. Two last two questions. Prediction for the South Carolina Gamecocks football team this year. What's the record? Oh, they're, they're going to be good this year. We're going to be uh, <laughs> back to whooping up on Georgia's butts <laughs> like we normally do. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. I'll, I'll put it at seven and five. Nah, I think we'll, maybe we'll, eight and four. Yeah, yeah, we'll get at least eight wins this year. 
All right, there it is. And la- Beamer is a good coach. Of course, of course. That's because he came from Georgia. All right, Eric, if, if folks want to reach you, what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to plug into the podcast, follow Beard Brand, all that good stuff? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to have three recommendations for you. If you want to reach out to me, Twitter is the best one. Follow me on Twitter. My DMs are open. Obviously, go to beardbrand.com and buy something. Uh, you're worth it. You know, like uh, you're going to start looking good. You know, watch some videos of ours on on YouTube. And then if you're into e-commerce. There it is. Wherever you can get your podcast. Yeah, I don't know. It goes out <laughs> to the internet somewhere. But Apple, Spotify, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how podcasts work. I love it. All right, Eric. Thanks so much for this. This was fun. Uh, I will give you a shout next time I'm in Austin. And, um, you know, look forward to seeing that new jacket on your uh, trip to Denmark. But thanks for joining us and and, uh, teaching our our listeners about Beard Brand and and e-commerce. Pleasure's all mine, Alex. Thanks for having me. Know anyone who needs Stored's help? We have a new referral program where you could earn $5,000. Go to stored.link slash referral to submit and learn more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.